I'm Noah, and you're listening to Product Journey. Charlie, how's it going? Not bad, not bad, Noah. How you doing? Doing good. Thank you for being a guest of Product Journey, and for the listeners, uh, just I'll give a little bit of an overview of who Charlie is, and Charlie, you can tell me when I'm wrong, uh, but Charlie <laughs> is the founder of Ramen Profitable, which is or the Ramen Club, which is a community of founders that are trying to get to Ramen Profitable. And I think from what I can tell, like you guys do, you have done in-person events in the past, and now you're doing some more online stuff, but you have a community there, I think in London as well. And then, you know, you have a podcast and some other things alongside that. Um, but you're, you know, you're mainly trying to help entrepreneurs, other people that are probably in the same space and area community kind of like a lot of the founders that probably listen to this podcast uh so charlie how did i do yeah yeah that's um yeah that's pretty accurate what i miss um yeah so um <laughs> so i'm the found so i'm the founder of ramen club um some people say i say ramen wrong <laughs> i think that's how you say it um but um yeah we're a online and in-person community of bootstrap founders there's about 130 of us now or so um, oh, wow. about, about three years old, um, started just doing in-person events, then uh, purely online during COVID. And now we're like a hybrid community where um, most of our, we have a busy Slack, but um, in London in particular, we have like weekly co-working sessions like every Tuesday um, and occasionally Saturdays. And um, yeah, that's kind of my main focus right now. Um, it was kind of born out of a separate meetup. So we do a free meetup called Indie Beers, which is just a pub meetup every month in London. So I kind of do both. So I kind of manage a a free local community and also Mm -hmm. ramen club, which is a paid community. So it it kind of just started, you you started with the indie one and then you kind of just ran into, oh, I should start another community. Like how did, how did you decide to start this? It was very organic. Like in 2018, um, I, I'd become a product manager fairly recently. Um, So that was, yeah, 2017, I became a product manager. I switched careers because I used to work in ad agencies before and I wanted something new. Um, and my gateway drug is probably Product Hunt. And from that, I got hooked on Indie Hackers because I didn't really realize that it was possible to kind of build Indie. I did, Most of the startup stuff you saw was just like Airbnb and Facebook and stuff, right? And it seemed like you had to like raise loads of money and stuff. And um, I guess really like the kind of bootstrapping sort of side of it, you know, that you can kind of live on your own terms yeah um, so anyway when i got into that i started a local meetup in london because i just wanted there wasn't like a pub meetup where you could you know it was all like you know going to um like a big conference room like full of people um to watch a talk and there's nothing wrong with that stuff but i just wanted something quite chilled where i could just go to a pub and just chat to someone you know um pubs like you know i don't you have pubs in the u.s right but like it's like a yeah bar, we do basically yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's very, it's just like more of a thing in the UK, I think, than most places. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just started doing that and um, it started getting a bit of traction. And to be honest, it was all very organic. Like I was working on some other projects at the time. I, I was never meaning to like monetize it or anything like that. You know, I never even considered myself like a community builder or anything. Um, but people just started naturally asking, oh, it'd be cool. We've got these cool people in this room for drinks. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we could all just like, hack on stuff together or uh, co-work together um so that's so where i started um it was originally called weekend club and we recently changed it to ramen club 
Um, but we started mm. co-working on on weekends, basically, for people who had a full-time job and um, just didn't have the time um, to basically build stuff. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where it all began. That's cool. And, and what was kind of your background before kind of starting this? Like, what, what was kind of your career path before um, that you did this? Yeah. Um, so for six years before I went into the tech industry, which is like, I don't know, five years ago, um, I worked in creative agencies in London. So working with big brands to, to make like TV ads, digital ads, campaigns, that kind of thing. So like a very different world. It's more like branding and creative work. Um, I mainly worked in like, um, originally I was in this, I was like client services, like account management. So if you watch Mad Men, it's kind of like the suit in in mad men who like sells work like but it's quite a multi, it's quite a varied career though because you have to like not you don't just have to be good at like talking to clients you've got to learn to like manage projects and you also just need to like be able to like judge creativity quite well um which because mm-hmm. every day all you're doing is like judging ads and stuff and making suggestions so it's it's more creative than people give them credit for i think but um later on i went in in that career path, um, I went into more innovation. So I was actually launching businesses and brands for an agency. So we launched a co-working space. Um, we launched an, an, e- an Amazon FBA brand. Um, so we sold like flamingo pool floats um, online. Oh wow! Um, There's like a, f- a few other projects like that. Um, yeah, it was an interesting time. But like I decided, okay, I've gone, I got hooked on product. I'm, I'm like, I'm really into like this tech stuff. Let's just go into that world instead just haven't really looked back since nice that's awesome uh well i think we're gonna get into talking about maybe some problems and things that your decisions that you're thinking about and making now but before we get to that um i wanted to ask like what are some like cool stories of founders that are in the ramen club that you know and like maybe like some wins from founders within the ramen club that you've kind of seen. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm guessing that you kind of have a cool perspective where you can, you have these different founders that are part of the community and you kind of watch them uh, with their journey and see kind of what they're doing. I'm guessing you can learn a lot from that too. So just curious if you have any fun stories like that to share. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some uh, great examples of, you know, cause we're called ramen clubs. So we want to help founders get to, ramen profitability right you know if your community content tools that kind of thing um so off the top of my head like um um elston um he when he joined he wasn't working on um he's working on something separate but he runs tiny host so tiny host is like a um just a one of the easiest ways to basically host anything online like any sort of file um and he started that and he's on like um, 8k MRR now like maybe a year and a half in or something like that it's like completely solo completely bootstrapped um, another is Andy Cloak who runs data fetcher um, which lets you run Airtable uh, sorry run API requests in Airtable which is on mm. it's gone from zero to 10k MRR for example funny enough those two are both in the same mastermind in ramen club and like that's how they kind of got to know each other like quite well and they've just kind of been like pushing each other that's also awesome. like Michael my friend Michael's also in them um, that mastermind as well he's great he runs pg mustard um yeah and there's all sorts of interesting examples like three of our members got onto the latest tiny seeds batch for example um oh, for wow. a community of only 130 i think that's like that's pretty awesome 
that's um, pretty good yeah, super proud <laughs> of those guys yeah yeah big up um valentin matt and souk <laughs> they've done really well yeah that's that's an awesome group of people to have in a community and i've definitely learned and realized that myself of just having other founders around you that are like doing the same thing that are pushing that are trying to grow they're trying to learn like just like making that environment for yourself i think is really important to you know basically being able to do this especially as a solo founder like if i go outside my house right now there's like no one that is doing similar kind of stuff like (laughs) making businesses online and indie hacking and stuff like that. Um, And so it has been really helpful for me to be like active on Twitter and on different communities online to just like be around other founders and just like kind of hear how they think and learn from them. Um, So I can see that being like super beneficial for for you guys within the the Raymond Club. I think so. It's a very common story when people join or after they join, they say within my friendship group or people I know I'm the only founder you know like because we spend our lives like on Twitter and in discords and slacks like we probably overestimate how many people are like thinking about this stuff like it's a pretty small percentage of the population and yeah being in the right community it's not it's just like you know there's just some things you can only learn from being in these communities like not every question like has a great piece of content online which has the answer Like some things are just super nuanced and some things people don't want to talk about that publicly as well, like certain topics. Um, So, you know, being in the right community, um, I honestly think it's just like, if you're a founder that isn't in any of these communities, like, you know, you're just making life a bit harder for yourself, I think. Um, So yeah, Yeah. big advocate for sure. Well, yeah. So there's that, like not, maybe not all the information is online, but I think also it's just like being able to have people that you know that can help kind of carry some of the emotional burden of like building a business. Like, like sometimes you just need someone that you can go talk to and just like them just to kind of listen and be someone that has similar interests and kind of knows what you're talking about. But for you just to kind of lay out like, Oh man, this is like, what's going on. This is what I'm thinking about. I don't know what to do maybe, or I'm trying to think about this a or B and yeah, it's just like helpful and to like kind of get that out um for yeah. entrepreneurs sometimes because i think if you keep that in like you're probably just going to start to feel really lonely and not enjoy building your business very much <laughs> yeah for sure you know because um like sometimes you want people to help you or solve a problem sometimes yeah you just want to vent and it's just easier with people who kind of can empathize with you and, like understand that it's, it can be quite like a difficult and like lonely sort of journey sometimes like you know and people who are not a founder or aspiring founder just can't relate to it as much I don't think generally um yeah. so yeah that emotional burden is a big part of it as well yeah around two months ago I did a little indie hackers meetup here in my city Seattle and we I called it like indie hikers and there was about eight people that showed up and we like got coffee together. Then we went and did like a five mile hike. And uh, then we came back and got food and stuff. And it was a lot of fun, like met some really cool people. And so I definitely want to do some stuff like that again, because it's, yeah, it's just, it's great to actually meet up in person uh, with some people and people that have similar uh, interests. And you can just learn a lot from, from that. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, yeah, you're uh, you're inspiring me to want to do that again. So that's cool. Yeah, it's great. You know, like, um, you know, online obviously has its benefits, but you know, there's nothing quite like getting together in person with people sometimes. And I think people forget that sometimes, and maybe spend too much time online and <laughs> not enough like meeting people. Um, yeah. So yeah, big advocate. Like, yeah, in that we 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 have quite a lot of meetups now here in london um but you know it'd be great to see more more cities trying to do that sort of stuff like we need to do more wholesome stuff here though like hiking like ours seems to be a mm. bit more revolving around like the pub and going to restaurants and <laughs> stuff like that yeah <laughs> um so probably need to get some healthier habits like a bunch of us went to lisbon in in march i think earlier this year um like 20 of us it was just like a kind of indie trip so we just co-worked during the day and just like you know, went and got some nice food in the evening kind of thing. And it was so, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, next time we'll probably try and add some, uh, some other activities in there, like maybe go surfing or something. Nice. Yeah, that sounds fun. Um, so more recently though, you've been talking and thinking about how to, how to do a community that is like online and virtual. So yeah, what, what has been some of your like decision-making around that and, and what you're trying to do with the, the ramen club? Yeah, well, for the last three years, it's just been a kind of constant state of flux. It feels like only in the last year has it become fairly stable, actually, because we launched in October 2019. It was just like, it's very simple, just in-person meetups on two Saturdays a month where you could just co-work. The Slack was like an afterthought. Um, So that was like version one. Version two was when the lockdowns hit like a few months later. Um beginning of 2020 and we had to go 100% online um and you know had a lot of sort of co-working events stuff like that just online co-working because people were just in their house and they honestly just like people were just dying for some kind of social interaction yeah so that was like version version two um and then version three was like so around the summer of 2021 lockdowns lifted like in most places and people wanted to get outside and stuff suddenly no one wants to do like um, or less, far less people want to do online co-working like overnight sort of thing and r- we realized I just this community that was built on the assumption that everyone was locked inside all day suddenly wasn't quite fit for purpose anymore so yeah. I had to like completely like reinvent it again and it was like so now it's like a hybrid sort of community and we've just like you know made a few like iterations over time so what we have now is yeah community of 130 about half of them are just fully online about half of them come to um in-person events and yeah so something i'm just trying to think about is just you know balancing you know prioritizing like improving it for the online experience versus the in-person one um you know because uh the online experience is like higher churn than the in-person one which is pretty sticky to be honest mm-hmm. um are the you know, people a- online like from anywhere in the world or are they still people that are mostly closer to you in london yeah they're from all over to be honest yeah there's, there's some who are in the, U- the uk but um yeah we've got people in like australia us um greece mm-hmm. uh just everywhere really um like not every country but you know a bunch of countries and um yeah you know just trying to trying to think about like because i always assumed that like yeah people want to do online co-working and maybe it's just like the specific execution of how we do it but um we just found that numbers were just dropping and it just like 
we've just kind of paused it for a bit while we're just thinking about, you know, what do people really want from an online community? Like, do they actually want any online events? Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's a question mm-hmm. I'm asking myself. Would they prefer just to, is it worth reinvesting that money instead of going for, on, for Slack premium instead of like, you know, investing in other mm-hmm. things? So yeah, I'm just trying to think of this from like first principles um, sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, two two main decisions. One is focusing more on in-person versus online. And then for online, like what, is the best experience that I can give people. Um, so yeah, just try and do a bit of research on that right now. Cause I am actually a user researcher in my like, day job two days a week. So like I should be, hopefully I should be good at this, but <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes it's hard to get, so like I sent a survey and like, I got like four responses and I'm just like, this is not enough. And that, it, it yeah, wasn't like, tell me much. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, so I, I think I just need to, I'm going to probably do a bunch of interviews. Like I've done this in the past with at Ramen Club already. But yeah, just needs to do like 10, 15, 20 interviews. That should give me a bit of a stare. Yeah. What what kind of like online events have you done in the past? Yeah. So either like co-working. So like people, it's like focus, mate. People sit on the same Zoom and co-work together. We have a host who's me or another member um, who's just like managing the session. There's a quick stand up at the beginning and people just like co-work together um then we've also done is that like one on one kind of or is it just like a big group like on zoom or something that's a a big group yeah so we used to get like 20 30 people on these like during covid but like you know when people have the option to go outside like they're just a lot less likely to join these things it turns out um and we've done like more educational events as well like live podcasts and amas um we've done like hot seats like where people like you know grill someone about like a project they have um we've done like office hours um mm-hmm. yeah you know and it yeah we've done like a variety of things really um i think people yeah. like seem to be most interested in just having like a good slack um <laughs> like as far as i can tell but you know i like to, i think there's like something else i think there's more we can do like you know i've got this idea of doing a weekly educational section so like every Every Wednesday, for example, there'll either be a workshop or a, you know, interview with someone and they can join live and ask questions. Like, I think that might be a bit more what people, I think I'm pretty sure people do want that. Um, but just need to think about like the co-working side of it as well. Like, you know, how much effort is it worth putting back into it? I feel I feel like there's yeah something in it, but, you know, we I, maybe I just haven't quite nailed it yet. Um, so that's kind of my thought process at the moment. Yeah. So maybe you already do this, but I think like what I would think would be kind of interesting and valuable is kind of like a virtual mastermind kind of where it's like three founders or something like that that are meeting either every week or every other week, just like on Zoom or something and just like creating those little groups and kind of putting them together. I could see that being really valuable for founders, even though they're, you know, not in person. Um, is that is so we that... do actually have that okay that's what I was yeah yeah thinking. so that's that's so that's separate yeah so we do we do match people um to do masterminds and that's actually another interesting one to be honest because it's so hard to tell which ones are going to keep going and which aren't like you think mm-hmm. you found like a perfect match and like the second week and you know they do it for like four weeks and then after six weeks just nobody shows up anymore <laughs> even though mm. it's like in their calendars but yeah. but then we've had some 
So the example I gave earlier of say like Andy, Michael and Elston that's been going for like almost two years that that mastermind like every two yeah. weeks they meet up like in person and stuff and you know that's so it's, cool. it's, it's, it's it's tough like I think I might need to accept that just like some you know some people are just not as committed to it as others sort of thing and it's just like yeah. it's just what, what's going to happen but what I've seen elsewhere actually that may be interesting is like adding a bit of friction to like try and weed out people who are a bit less committed to it so for example you have to like you know i don't know say attend like three meetings in a row or some or three events in a row or do something or be very active and then that unlocks the ability to go into a mastermind um yeah yeah hmm. need to think of this so so it, do you find that it's almost like the founders have to be they kind of have to gel together and really kind of have a good connection for them to want to keep doing it yeah well i think that's yeah that's definitely necessary but it's not always enough that's what i found um because mm -hmm. some people are honestly just some people are just less committed than others to a, doing a mastermind kind of thing like maybe they're just like quite time poor um yeah and uh but you know i don't want to like completely put this on the people doing the masterminds like i'm sure there's something that i can do as well to like yeah kick it off kick it off better you know so i i think i think we do put effort we do put effort into that like i'm personally there at the first one to like show them how it works and introduce them and stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um you know it, it's tricky sometimes yeah i think that's a good way to think about it's like what can you do because it is kind of a weird thing it's it's almost like uh almost like dating a little bit for founders <laughs> where it's like they're trying to see yeah. like if they want to hang out together and keep talking and I don't know, it could probably be a little weird. Um, I know. But yeah, I, I can see how that, that would be hard and tricky for you to uh, try to get in there and, and make things happen with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. One suggestion from um, um, Amar goes that runs Zenmade. He suggested that it's, it, he's seen it work well where you actually have a cutoff date. So the mar the initial mastermind is only for 60 days or 90 days or something. Um, and then everyone has to opt in and whether to continue. So there's a bit less, if it isn't a good fit for people, it's a bit less pressure to like, you know, for it to finish. So I think, mm -hmm. I think I thought that was quite interesting. So I've done that and hopefully that helps like people who are on the fence about not wanting to get stuck in, you know, some group forever when they don't know the people. Um, it gives like a kind of opt out. So yeah, I think that could be a way around that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see, any other kind of things you're, decisions you're making or things you're potentially like struggling through recently? Yeah, well, it's just like, a, um, you know, about roughly half of our members are um, purely online and about half of them attend some kind of like in-person event, like usually in London. Um, and it's kind of like scaling online is easier because, you know, like they're just, you know, you can just market to people anywhere. The Slack is already the Slack. There's no like extra work that needs to happen with, you know, scaling like in that yeah. way. Um, but it's a bit high, it's less sticky and it's like a bit higher churn than the in-person one, which is, it's like, it's got super high retention um at, but every to scale it's harder because you obviously you're 
constrained by physical space <laughs> like obviously right. um right. and you have to like find a venue and you have to like keep finding venues in terms of um scaling it so we've got a great one in london called the bakery we use every tuesday um they've just got loads of spare room in there um and so we rent it off them one day a week they're actually an, not a co-working space they're an agency but they just a lot of them work from home now like since covid but they own the space and so it adds a bit of vibrancy kind of to the office and that's perfect but you know if we wanted to like let's say we wanted to like triple our size our size kind of thing you know we we can maybe go there one more day a week but you've got to find more venues and it's just it's it takes a lot it's difficult to find them you know like yeah. it took me like a while to find this one you know but you know also want to lean into it because it's like you know it's going really well people are like super engaged and like the online side of it but scaling this kind of thing is like i can't i wouldn't be able to be there every time to like host the events you've got to find like good hosts as well um mm -hmm. you know then there's like where to expand it to like do you just expand it in london or maybe some other cities so you know could we do this in somewhere like lisbon or berlin or new york as well um there's just a lot of options, right? <laughs> it's just like if you That's do do true. that, what, what order? What order? How do you prioritize the cities? Um, do you just do it by like population? Um, you know, so the, the, these are like good problems, I think, because we like you know we're growing and it's going well overall. Like we're just hit like five k MRR, so almost run profitable myself. Not quite because I live in London, but hopefully get there soon. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's just a lot of decisions to be made like with this kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that can be kind of tricky decision fatigue. Um, yeah, those are some interesting options of like ways to grow it. I could maybe see like, I, I think that would be pretty cool if you could like get in-person stuff going on in different cities. I could mm. maybe see a path to that where your online community almost like helps you get there where maybe you like focus on getting a mm. you know virtual online community in different cities and once you have enough people in that area then you're like all right now let's start the in-person stuff there as well um mm. i don't know if that would work but yeah there, there seems like there could be some interesting ways to try to to grow it um and make yeah. it bigger i think that makes sense yeah to lean into that because the constraint is not just like physical space it's like having someone on the ground to like host the events or manage them kind of thing and which we can yeah. pay people to do and it always makes sense to use your existing community members for that because you know they understand the other attendees and they like they're enthusiastic and you know it just makes more sense than like you know getting a complete loan like freelance freelancer who knows nothing about the indie community to host it it's just i don't i wouldn't want to do that i don't think you know for example we've got a member called ben um who's based in amsterdam and he's gonna start hosting an indie beers locally um because oh, nice. indie beers is the free meetup i do so there's, there's kind of like yeah seeing where maybe there's some a strategy is like seeing where our members are already and kind mm -hmm, of like focusing mm -hmm. on those places at first as long as it's like you know it makes obviously it's some like tiny village or something that maybe that makes less sense but you know assuming they're in like right. a proper city or something like that um yeah that makes a lot of sense that's yeah. cool um, let's see. Well, I think I want to switch gears here and maybe talk about, I don't know, just some of the cool tech things that have been going on recently, um, that, you know, we've both been kind of seeing going on, see, see what you think about. So like recently 
there's been just a lot of stuff with AI and talk about AI. I think like the GPT chat AI bot just like came out maybe this week. Um, yeah, curious, what, what do you think about all this AI stuff and this whole like, kind of AI craze that's been going on? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I like to keep on top of like interesting new technology. Like last year, it seems to be all about crypto stuff. Um, mm. But I feel like the narrative has changed very quickly in the last few months to, um, to AI because some of the stuff coming out of OpenAI right now is like pretty mind blowing. Um, so we've been talking about it, uh, it about about it a bit in the uh, Ramen Club. Um, so a few of us have been using uh, Chat GPT. So have you been using that so far, Noah? I've not no. No. No, I think you like it, but it's just like like a kind of it's basically like a chatbot you can have a dialogue with and it's just like seems like it's hit this threshold of just like it's so good it's kind of like a little bit scary. Um like yeah. you can like I think I what did I ask it? Like um I asked it how to describe how to build describe the best way to build an online community um and it tells you like a you know like a a good response kind of thing that like is yeah you know like i might say this if someone asked me this question um yeah. but then what's crazy is it almost more impressive is you can ask it to answer it in a specific way so i then said um describe the best way to build an online community in the style of an italian pizza chef and it literally like starts it with like mamma mia and then like basically <laughs> rephrased the advice as in like different ingredients and stuff and like it it was but it was done in a way that wasn't clunky it was like really good and it's just like so i know that seems trivial but it it shows a level of like nuance and intelligence that's like way beyond like what i would yeah. expect and you can also just get it to um so so people are already sh there's this really great thread by Ben Tossel on like the best use cases so far and people are like putting so they put in some code some of their code and um they tell it to identify the bug and it not only correctly identifies the bug it then describes how to solve the bug and gives you the code um and it's just like the implications for this like if you think about where this could be in a few years it's pretty crazy um and you know yeah. the way people like build software and like create content is just like feels like it could fundamentally change like a lot sooner than people realize because it just outputs like near perfect code for stuff that you describe and it's just like what does that what does that mean <laughs> like yeah of, you know? no, it is pretty crazy i've been using uh github's autopilot bot yeah um for writing code and it's it is pretty good like you you have to change things a little bit but a lot of times yeah. it gets it really gets you in the right direction of mm. kind of what you're wanting to do um here's another one i just heard of have you heard of character.ai uh no i've not you might want to go to that one um so actually my first million pod was just talking about this i think yesterday so it's character.ai and what it does is they have all these different characters, like known people like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, different, you know, famous people. And you can just like chat with them. And but it's really an AI oh that you're chatting God. with. But they but they talk just like that person. So I just started this chat with Elon Musk and I said, how are you going to save Twitter? And Elon replied to me, 
you know, this AI Elon, the plan to turn Twitter into a social media giant that is even bigger than Facebook and Google. I believe in free speech and I hate censorship. I'm going to make Twitter a place where people can freely express themselves without anyone telling them what they can and cannot say. I'm also going to add a bunch of new features that will make Twitter the best social media platform in the world. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm just sorry, I just shared that on a ramen club. Like that looks sick. Um, I'm going to try that <laughs> yeah. after. I'm not going to be actually I need to head out straight after this but I'm definitely trying this first thing tomorrow <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah it's pretty it's kind of hilarious but it's like I, I did a couple of different conversations with like Mark Zuckerberg and stuff and it's like it does kind of create kind of the the conversation or just kind of the way they talk like it, it's able to catch that um and just like you know like how Mark can be kind of defensive and stuff about like you know, Facebook privacy yeah. and security stuff. And like it, the bot, the AI completely kind of caught that and it was kind of hilarious. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy um, with what some of this AI stuff can do. Um, and I feel like, I, and it just, it's getting better really quickly too. So I feel like it's, it's definitely going to be, have a big impact on a lot of things. Um, it just, it seems like it's just going to yeah. take a matter of time. Um, so it's really interesting to watch, um, and, and kind of fun to see the progression for sure. Yeah, because the, the nature of machine learning is like, you know, the smarter it gets, the better it gets at improving itself. And so it's just getting like exponentially better, basically. And, you know, this is still on GPT-3. Apparently GPT-4 is coming out next year, which is meant to be, you know, like an order of magnitude better. And it's like, I can't even like imagine what that looks like. Um, so yeah. You know, I've, yeah, some people I've seen some people talking about like, what does it mean if you are able to just like enter a prompt and it generates a SAS like straight out the box or like eighty percent of mm -hmm. the SAS? The code is like is kind of like commoditizing that. It's like I'm just like okay, imagine that world exists. Let's if we assume that happens in a few years, like what happens then is like is it just does the value of SaaS just fall fall because it's like a bit is the supply increases so much? It feels like mm -hmm. that might be a possible consequence of that. And what does that mean? Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Well, I think it 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 makes it I mean, we've kind of been doing this already in the last yeah. decade of just like more tech and things coming out that just makes it easier and easier to create and to build stuff. And so AI yeah. is kind of taking that to the next level. And it seems like what happens when we do that is there's still value in products and things that are, you know, obviously that are, are valuable. It's just that much easier to create those things, which makes it, be, there's just so much more competition. Um, yeah. Like I think now with like building tech businesses and like a SaaS and bootstrapping and stuff is like the hard part isn't necessarily building the product. Like, you know, you still have to have some tech skills and the chops to do it but it's it's just getting easier and easier to build and the hard part is like the distribution and like getting it mm. out there and getting people to actually like buy it and so it might just make that even more the hard part because people can just have the ai build stuff for them <laughs> and then mm. but then they still have to somehow get people to sell it or to buy it and stuff um yeah but there'll still always be value in the creativity of like yeah coming up with the idea and having the it's not it, lots of people could have ideas but lots of people not everyone has the conviction to like do something with it as well so i think that will, that yeah. will always still be valuable yeah i think that's true 
uh, for sure. Um, what do you think about, I mean, it's kind of interesting that like OpenAI is kind of, I mean, I think there's also what the stable diffusion, diffusion, like open source stuff, but it's, it's like these kind of two big entities and mainly OpenAI, just like this big company that's kind of creating all this technology that then, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. entrepreneurs can go run with, but it, it seems like that's kind of like a huge advantage that some of these like bigger companies are kind of the ones that are kind of creating all this stuff. Like, does that kind of in some way centralize a lot of like the power of like, does AI, I've heard that people talk about how AI kind of centralizes power and stuff because to make AI good, you need like a ton of data, um, which is really expensive. You have to have like servers and stuff that can run all these algorithms and hold all this data and stuff. Um, And so does it, does it kind of just make that even more a problem of like, making those people that kind of control and have the power and money to do like build the AI are just going to even more so kind of go further as being the ones kind of running the tech world and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Cause being, I mean, being like a hundred, there's probably a balance somewhere, is it? Cause like being uh, some level of centralization can be good sometimes i guess it kind of depends who is doing the centralizing like i think right. open ai i've um like i think one of the reasons they were created is a bit they're quite big on like the ethics side of it as well that they want not just they don't they don't just want this technology to like progress but they want to, it to do do it in a way well this is what they say anyway they want to do it in a way where um it's done in the right way in an ethical way where it's like available to as many people as possible who can benefit from it kind of thing yeah um but you know it's just like what if sam altman's secretly evil it's like i don't know I'm sure he <laughs> yeah. isn't, but like do you know what i mean it's just like what the in the wrong hands that someone in his, his position could do some serious damage and so right. i think what i think it's so powerful like i think the rate like you know i'm not like someone that's like oh yeah the government should solve all problems but like there probably needs to be some degree of regulation at some point with this stuff to kind of mm, that's true yeah to, to basically to some check against like what if you get evil sam, sam altman like controlling something right like this yeah, i mean everyone like, thought spf was good <laughs> exactly like no one like very few people saw that coming like he was literally no. like literally one month ago he was like on every magazine cover and now he's been yeah like, hounded through like bahamas hotels and stuff like that like it's like yeah what's weird is like he's kind of like on the run but not because he's also on stage with the new york times it's just like the most bizarre situation ever yeah it's very odd um okay so that brings us to uh, i know not all the listeners are probably into crypto or nfts but i know you're into nfts you got a shiny uh sweatshirt on so curious what (laughs) what do you you think (laughs) <laughs> what do you think about, yeah, where are you at with like NFTs and crypto and all that stuff? Because obviously it's been kind of a rough time recently. Yeah. You still believe it's believe it's the future? Um, I, I think the f- the future for it, I think, there, I think there definitely is a future. I think the future might look differently to what people expect it to be with crypto. Like, um, you know, I think people really want to like build a big industry on top of it where like basically every web to service is replaced with a crypto equivalent and 
you know, I'm not a hundred. I'm not certain that exact scenario is going to play out like people expect. But like, I think it will play out in like in other ways. Like, you know, I think crypto is like core use case of like when normal systems fail or you have no access to them. You know, like you know, like in country countries like in like I think in like Venice, like in Venezuela, they're using like stable coins like Dai and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like for MakerDAO, like that stuff is generally useful. Um, like stable coins being able to just like transfer money really easily store money really easily like i think that stuff definitely does have um value but you know i think the idea that like people are going to put their housing deeds on as an nft like i kind of think that stuff is like not that realistic but like i think nfts like i just i think they're super cool um i think like they are fun like i think that one of the biggest use cases is just fun to like trade them and own them and like get involved in different projects and that kind of thing um like like with the reddit nft drop with the, those avatars they call them digital collectibles not nfts and like that yeah. people didn't even know they were nfts it's hilarious but they and they were so yeah. popular as a result you know they, they are fun and like digital collect digital goods like should be fun i think um yeah and i think that, i think the fun use case will be around for a long time and um but some other interesting ones could be around like I think for memberships, it's, lifetime memberships, it's kind of cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we we were thinking of doing an NFT lifetime membership for Rama Club, just doing like fifty or hundred or something, you know, for one or two ETH. And um, it's it's not it's cool because it's just like we create we would create like a sick like visual. I like so it's like a visual. It's more than just like when you buy a lifetime membership on Stripe, it's just like a you know data in like a date a record in a database, right? But this, right. you kind of like own some cool visual elements, um, and um, you know, it gives you a bit of a sense of ownership, um, and you can sell it at the end if you want to leave the community, which you can't do with like a normal subscription, right? So yeah, I right. think there's some interesting kind of things to explore, and you know, have you looked much at Soulbound NFTs as well? I have a little bit, yeah, yep, yeah. I think there's some cool use cases around that, just like you know proof that you've actually done like say you've completed a course or whatever it is like proving that you've done that you know i think that right. kind of stuff is is pretty interesting but we're, we're actually kind of experimenting with um something in that area in our, our product studio well we will be at some point um okay so yeah hopefully we'll learn a bit more about it at that point that's pretty cool uh yeah, yeah i mean i think that i think that so i'm I, i'm big into crypto i think there's a big future for it. I, I kind of agree with you where I don't think it's necessarily going to take over everything. Like maybe what some people yeah. think of when they describe like web three, like, you know, like a new mm. version of the whole web. But I think what it will do is more so like basically take over all the financial parts of things. And I think it will, it could take, you know, mm. decades for that to actually happen and play out. But like, yeah. I think it does make a lot of sense for crypto to kind of like, I think it's a more efficient way to do a lot of the financial systems that we kind of already have in place with like banks and stuff like yeah. that. And I think it takes out a lot of the middlemen. Um, so it makes it, you know, cheaper, but then there's also more trust there. Um, mm. You know, it's, that's kind of a, a double-edged sword, especially right now when people see crypto as kind of scammy. Um, mm. But at the base level of like what crypto really is, it's all about like, you know, the smart contracts that like the smart contract says that it's going to do what it's going to do. And it's kind of like a promise that it's going to do that and you can trust it. And so I mm. think once we start to get more 
um, I don't know, just kind of like normal, like normalizing things around a smart contract of like best practices, how it should work. Um, mm. I think there could be a lot of trust there that would allow a lot of these financial things to work really well on top of um, smart contracts and crypto and all this stuff. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, it might take a while, but I think eventually it will go in that direction. Um, and, you know, basically right now, it's just like a lot of experiments and a lot of things happening that, mm. you know, there's already a lot of value there already. Um, and especially in different countries, I think, like you mentioned. Um, yeah. And then part of it is there's just a lot of speculation. And so then there's, you know, mm. people can always lose money and get hurt when there's a lot of speculation. So that can kind of scare people off. But I think once it, it just kind of has to get through all of that, um, cause there are lots of problems, I guess, but once, once it mm. builds through that and just more things are built in place that makes it safer and more straightforward and easier for people to use, I think it will be, yeah, pretty big in the financial kind of world. So that's, that's my kind of yeah. thesis, my hypothesis on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, I think there is definitely space for that to happen. I'm, I'm, it's been impressive to see the resiliency of just like, you know, make a DAO, which is like quite old now. It's just like, um, that's a proper DAO, like where it's kind of like decisions are executed in code rather than just like yeah. a discord with a voting system kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's some uh, super interesting stuff that to happen in there in, in the future. Do you, do you see a, so let, you know, let's say like, you know, replacing certain financial systems with DeFi do you see it as most likely to get a mass adoption with stable coins or do you think it would be, could be on something as volatile as like Bitcoin? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think at first it would maybe have to be stable coins. Um, yeah. but I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think this would be in the very long term future, but I wouldn't be surprised if I don't know, say like 50 years to a hundred years from now, there's kind of like this new currency that is Mm. kind of crypto first and it's, you know, wasn't maybe created by one central government that kind of becomes the new, like the best stable coin that's the most stable, like more stable than US dollars and anything else. Like I could see some of, by that time, some of those currencies we have today kind of falling to the wayside and there being Mm. kind of a, a, a coin that's, more stable that everyone's kind of using that's kind of worldwide or something. Um, I Mm. could see something like that happening and it might not, I guess it could technically be Bitcoin um, or Ethereum or something like that. Um, But maybe, maybe those are just still, I could still see them being around, but maybe those would just be kind of tools to like build stuff in, in, in crypto and web three, but maybe there's another kind of new innovation to allow something to be more stable that could be that currency yeah. i don't know i'm yeah. just thinking out of my head right now so <laughs> yeah, yeah i i know someone that has a theory that um you know stripe's got like crypto teams and stuff they, they have a theory mm, that yeah. stripe might be making stripe. Might be building their own state <laughs> someone they have a theory that they might be building their own stable coin that would be pretty wild if they did that <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know if that's gonna happen but I'm, i i i wouldn't be surprised if they start doing support to accept stable stables on their, their system for subscriptions and stuff that would be pretty big if they did that um and and obviously really helpful to the uh crypto kind of world um yeah that'd be interesting 
Well, the thing is, it's like it's also just genuinely useful. Like we have some subscribers in India, and India has all sorts of problems with like you know making payments to Stripe and PayPal. Oh and yeah, stuff. I've dealt with that. <laughs> yeah, and like the the, way, the one way that would definitely work is a state sending stable coins. Yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had some customers uh, for Potion that have like messaged me and be like, "Hey, can I pay in crypto?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, just because there's yeah. all these different issues between banks in some different countries where it's just hard for them to pay. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely some things there that could maybe happen. Um, it's it's really interesting. I I, I enjoy it because there's so much happening there's so much kind of like the ai stuff like there's just a lot of uh fast-paced building and new stuff coming out that um is just kind of changing all the time so it's kind of fun to follow and learn and so yeah it's i I like being a part of part of it even though right now everyone's kind of trashing on crypto because of what happened with ftx so it kind of gives crypto a bad name (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's funny because ftx it's not even it's just it was just an exchange a centralized exchange right so i know it's like, yeah that's not it's not like it's not real crypto is it i guess um i've still been exactly. like dipping that's... my turn the water yeah sorry go on i interrupted you no i was gonna say like i think that's that's part of the problem is like only so many people like you and probably like like me that like understand that that like FTX was just another centralized bank, just like what yeah. we already have in the real world. Like that's not really what crypto is about. Like that's not DeFi. That's not the decentralization yeah. of like what. It's not trustless. It's like it, yeah, the real crypto is like can't be evil, right? Right, and that's what's sad about it is because everyone, everyone in the outside mainstream sees that as that's what crypto is, um, and it just is going to. I think that that whole collapse is going to push crypto back like at least a year uh, just because it's going to just hurt the trust of it and stuff, even though that's not really the real thing. I've been kind of surprised like how well Ethereum and Bitcoin have their price at least has stayed up throughout this last like month or two throughout this whole thing. Like it's, it's actually not been as like volatile as I would have expected with this bad of stuff happening around it (laughs) yeah yeah there's just a ton of people just sitting on it and just not selling their eth you know they i think they maybe they must have like a compared to the last bear market maybe there's just more of a critical mass of like true believers than there were before to keep it up yeah i'm not i'm not selling (laughs) in fact uh (laughs) well yeah this isn't financial advice or anything but i've been like the last couple months this is the time i've been buying um because i think long term it's going to be good so i feel like this is probably the best time to buy when everyone else is like worried about it yeah <laughs> yeah. So. yeah yeah anyway well, i i i, I would, i'll probably start buying at some point um i just feel like it's got a bit i don't know it's not that far in to the bear market i think i just feel i feel like there's going to be a bit longer but i'll, I'll probably yeah. start thinking about it soon that's true yeah it, it could last for a while who knows um, all right. Well, this has been yeah. really fun. Thanks for chatting, Charlie, and uh, sharing about uh, the Ramen Club. Uh, and I'll, I'll put all the links to what you're doing and your Twitter and stuff in the show notes. So listeners, if you want to go check out more of what Charlie's up to, you can find those there. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing with us, Charlie. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Noah. Uh, great to uh, kind of meet for the first time properly. And uh, yeah, really yeah. enjoyed the chat.